Welcome to Lead On, a program where we talk about practical issues related to ministry leadership. My name is Jeff Orge, and I'm the president of Gateway Seminary. And for about 40 years, I've been a ministry leader in various contexts. I've been a church planter, a pastor, a denominational executive, and now a seminary president. And throughout all of those experiences, I've learned a few things about how to apply the Bible and a Christian worldview into the subject and issue of leadership. And so this program, Lead On, is really not a Bible preaching program or a teaching program so much as it is an application program. It's here where we talk about the nuts and bolts of how to do ministry leadership more effectively. So if you're a pastor, elder, deacon, if you're an executive director or president of an organization, if you're a person who works on a volunteer or a paid team that's trying to accomplish something significant and you have any leadership responsibility at all, this program is for you. Now, today I want to talk about enhancing spiritual vitality. You know, spiritual apathy is one of the problems that pastors talk with me frequently about regard, uh, regarding their churches. Spiritual apathy, uh, just a sense of discouragement or a sense of deadness, that lack of, of a spark of life and vitality and sense of the Holy Spirit working uh, among us and through us. I want to talk today about how to enhance spiritual vitality. Now, let me say up front that you can't do this by a certain program. There's not a formula. I can't give you a series of steps that will assure if you do these things, your church will have an upsurge in its spiritual uh, temperature. But I can talk about some best practices or some foundational practices that you have to put into place if you are going to do anything at all to facilitate this kind of growth or enhancement uh, in your church or in your ministry organization. So today, let's talk about some best practices or some foundational things you can do that at least lay the groundwork or the foundation for enhancing the spiritual vitality of your church or your ministry organization. So the first foundational step or best practice to enhancing the spiritual vitality of your church or ministry organization is your own practice of spiritual disciplines. Now, this is the dirty little secret of ministry leadership. There are a lot of people, pastors, executives, deacons, elders, other leaders. There are a lot of people in ministry leadership who in honest moments will tell you that they don't pray very much. They don't spend much time reading the Bible or thinking about Scripture and meditation. They don't really practice Sabbath rest or the spiritual disciplines of silence or of prayer or of reflection or of fasting. So if you're not doing these things, you are running on empty spiritually very quickly. And that's going to show up in your church or your organization. So the first step, the first best practice to raising or enhancing the spiritual vitality of your church organization is for you to get serious about practicing spiritual disciplines in your life. This is so vital because while your church may have a spiritual surge at a conference or a worship service or some particular event or experience, your church may have a spiritual surge by one of those things, but your church will never rise to stay above the level of your own spiritual commitments. That's why it's essential for you as a leader to 
practice basic spiritual disciplines. That means you practice reading the Bible on a regular basis. For years, I've used various Bible reading plans to keep me on track. A couple of years ago, I adopted a new plan that helps me to read two chapters a day. And about 90 to 95% of the days, I get up and make it happen. Now, I have a travel schedule, just like a lot of leaders and meetings at unusual times. And I have days when I don't feel as well as I do on other days and all kinds of issues. And so I certainly would never hold myself up as a model of perfection in this regard. But most days, the vast majority of days, I start the morning by reading the Bible and then after some Bible reading time, moving into prayer. Now, that early morning prayer time is really focused mostly on my spiritual life and my spiritual development and me putting into practice and praying through what I've read in the Bible that day. It also focuses on my, my uh, marriage and my family, even extending to my grandchildren. That kind of praying, that early morning praying, occasionally involves my work, but mostly it's focused on my personal spiritual development. And then not only reading the Bible and praying, but Another essential aspect of spiritual discipline for leaders is practicing Sabbath rest, having the discipline of setting aside one day a week to pull away from the work you're doing and reflect and rest and recharge for your future responsibilities. Now, I've covered this in more detail on another program, so I'm not going into it today. But Sabbath rest means that you have the habit of pulling away from your work one day a week recharging, refocusing, finding a new level of spiritual energy that really reinvigorates you and moves you forward into the work that you have to do. I could also talk about things like scripture memory and fasting. And as I mentioned, there's other spiritual disciplines like worship and silence and things like that. You don't have to have a plan that incorporates all of these on an everyday basis, but you do have to have a pattern of life that includes these disciplines as a core part of who you are as a Christian leader. This is step one to enhancing the spiritual vitality of your church. This is a, fine, a, a, a best practice, a foundational best practice that you have to put into place in order to get this done. Now let's move on to a second best practice. A second thing you can do to enhance the spiritual vitality of your church is to develop a way to teach these spiritual disciplines to every member possible in your church or or in your ministry organization. That means that you have a plan to not only use a curriculum, but also some one-on-one or small group mentoring to help people put these disciplines into practice. Now, I was so fortunate that I became a Christian and was discipled in my early years as a believer in a church that had such an approach. Our church used a one-on-one strategy. We had a 10-lesson curriculum that we worked through, and we tried to get every new believer. And in our church, that meant uh, two or three people a week, usually, that were professing their faith in Christ and coming publicly and requesting baptism. So we had to have a plan in place to help every one of these new believers get stabilized in their new commitment, but also start the process of learning these basic spiritual disciplines and not just learning about them, but having some one-on-one discipleship or mentoring or coaching to help put that into practice. So our church had this 
curriculum, but more than a curriculum, it had an, a program or an approach whereby men trained men, women trained women, college students trained high school students, and we even had it to the point where high school students sometimes trained middle school children and middle school students and older children. That's how I grew up learning spiritual disciplines, by someone teaching them to me in a one-on-one way and teaching me through a curriculum that gave me a common vocabulary and experience with dozens, if not hundreds, of other church members who'd been through the same process. Now, this is why you have to have a process, because just doing a sermon or doing a class or doing a weekend conference on spiritual disciplines really won't get the job done because you're going to have such a small percentage of people actually participate in that. And so if you're really serious about raising the spiritual vitality of your church and enhancing what you do in this regard, you're going to have to find a way to use a curriculum that is repeatable, that can be committed to over a period of years to help individual church members go through the process of learning and practicing spiritual disciplines. And I really think both from experience of how I happened uh, to go through it, and then also as I use these kinds of tools as a pastor, I really think that the best way to do this kind of training is in one-on-one or one-on-two very small groups of people, one-on-one or very small groups, one-on-two maybe one on three, but nevertheless, keeping it small enough that you can really help a person customize and individualize how to grow in these spiritual disciplines. So we're talking today on the program about how to enhance or raise the spiritual vitality of your church or your ministry organization. We're talking about how to overcome spiritual apathy. And the first step is that you as the leader must practice spiritual disciplines. And then second, you must have a repeatable, ongoing, continuing process in place to teach the members of your church or organization basic spiritual disciplines and how to live those out. Now let's turn to a third strategy, and that is you must develop a way to maintain a vibrant prayer ministry in your church. Now I know I can feel your eye rolls even on the radio. You're thinking, yeah, I've tried that. I announced a prayer meeting and three people came. And I know the old joke, if you want to have a meeting where you don't have to set up extra chairs, just announce a prayer meeting. You won't need any extra chairs. I get all that. Well, part of the reason is because of spiritual apathy, and that's what we're trying to overcome today. But another part of the reason is... A failure to think creatively as ministry leaders about the kinds of prayer experiences people are likely to participate in given their time commitments, given their schedules, given their work responsibilities, and all the other things that go on in relationship to church or ministry organizations. There have to be some different ways to formalize a prayer ministry in the church besides just announcing a prayer meeting and hoping people come. Well, let's talk about some different ways and different models to build a prayer ministry in a church. Of course, the first one is what I've already been talking about. You can establish a weekly prayer meeting. Uh, You can establish that in the early morning or in the evening or on a night when a church service can be held or something like that. That's certainly one way to do it. But since that's the most common way and the way that most of you are probably already uh, accustomed to doing things, let me give you some additional or other options to consider. Another way to launch a prayer ministry is to create a 24-hour intercessory prayer room. Now, this can be done on a church campus or it can be done virtually. 
But a 24-hour prayer room means that your church sets aside a 24-hour block every week, and you pray through that 24-hour block, someone praying every hour on the hour throughout the time. Now, this may amaze you, but again, I came to faith in Jesus Christ in a church that had a profound commitment to prayer ministry. And our church had a room set aside and had an entire strategy built for safety and for all things related of how to use this room 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And while our church had an attendance back then of around 500, was never really able to fully staff that prayer room for all 168 hours of the week, we were very close to filling it for most of those the years that they operated the ministry in this way. So you signed up for a prayer time. Now, I was in college when the church was really focused on doing this. And so I thought, you know, I'm a young guy and I need to step up and take an awkward hour. So I took a Monday morning at 2 a.m. So I would go home from church on Sunday night and go to bed and I would get up at, you know, 1.15 or 1.30 and go up to the church. And I had a friend named Larry that would meet me there. And he and I would pray from 2 to 3, and then we would drive home, stagger back into bed, and get some more sleep before we had to get up and start our day. We were a couple of young guys, and we knew that somebody needed to take responsibility for those hard hours, and certainly Monday at 2 a.m. was about the hardest hour we could imagine, so we took that one. You know, that was about 40 years ago. And just recently, uh, I was back through that area and reconnected to Larry, the guy that used to pray with me back then. You know, he's still going strong. He's now, of course, an elder in a church and a uh, teaching pastor in some capacities when his regular pastor is not able to be present. He's a strong leader. And he told me, he said, Jeff, when we were praying back then in those days and you were teaching me about spiritual disciplines, it changed my life. And while I'm not participating in a 24-hour prayer ministry like that anymore, it certainly shaped who I am and the direction of my life and my commitment to prayer. So one way to have a prayer ministry is, of course, to announce a prayer meeting. Another way is to announce a prayer strategy, which includes a 24-hour prayer commitment that you might have every week. Now, I mentioned a moment ago about you doing these things either in person or by using technology. Our church that I'm currently a member has had a prayer meeting on Monday nights for years. It's a high priority for our pastor, and he leads it personally. It's not a worship service necessarily or a preaching service for sure. It's a time to really gather together to pray. And so while he normally opens with a very brief devotional thought about prayer and sends us into small groups very quickly, uh, it's really a focused meeting about prayer. And then COVID-19 happened. And our pastor was faced with the reality that the weekly Monday night prayer meeting could no longer exist. So he thought, well, does that mean the church can't pray? Absolutely not. So he converted the prayer meeting that normally had about 30 people present into a Zoom prayer meeting where everyone logged in and he did the devotional and then he sent us into small groups. And you can do that fairly easily on Zoom with the technology available. And he would send us into small groups and then we would spend our time praying together in that context and then come back together uh, for some brief sharing at the end. He's been averaging about 125 people on that Zoom prayer call. He recently told me, when the pandemic is finally completely behind us, we aren't going back to a face-to-face -face prayer meeting. We're going to keep doing it electronically because four times as many people were willing to come together to pray when we did it in that format. 
And he said, I never realized how many people in my church didn't want to make that second commute that they had just made on Sunday to come back on Monday. How many of them worked schedules that kept them from being able to drive out to the church again the next night? How many of them had children or elderly family members they had to care for? How many of them simply had other challenges about life that kept them from coming out to prayer meeting, but they really wanted to pray? And so using technology with a prayer meeting model has really involved many, many more people in our prayer ministry, and we're not going back, at least according to our pastor. Now, a third model of prayer meeting, this is used predominantly by Korean churches, is to have an early morning prayer service every day. Early morning prayer in Korean churches usually starts at 6 a.m., and these services are focused on prayer. The pastor usually leads a scripture reading or a short devotional, and then the people go into prayer. And they do this every single day. Now, not every church member comes every day, but dozens and dozens come multiple times a week to join their church for early morning prayer. Now, in this particular cultural context, the Korean churches, they are a community or a community culture that likes to be together to do many things. And one of the things they do is have early morning prayer uh, in place of what we might consider our early morning private devotions. And so while many Koreans still have significant private devotional times, rather than depend on every individual member to have that kind of morning devotional time, the church just calls everyone together and they do it simultaneously by reading scripture and reading scripture with and to each other and then praying and praying for each other, and then praying privately. And then, of course, if you've ever been to one of these, all praying out loud together, calling out to God as a community. Now, here's another way to do prayer meetings in your church or a prayer event in your church, and that is to have what I call a prayer summit. Now, that language is not original with me. My son actually originated the idea. We were members of a church, and our pastor announced a prayer vigil, wanting to call the church together for an extended time of prayer over a weekend. My son was a teenager and said, prayer vigil sounds like a funeral. Who wants to go to that? And I thought, wow, it does sound like a funeral. So I very quietly said to my pastor, hey, this is what my son said, and I think you might be right. It, it does sound kind of depressing to go to a prayer vigil. Why don't we call it a prayer summit? A summit meeting is when all the top and most significant people in an organization or in countries meet together to do something very important. That's a summit meeting. So we changed our church from having prayer vigils to having prayer summits. And really, it helped change the tone of what we're trying to accomplish, that we weren't sadly going away to a secret dark place to find a way to pray through our evil, sinful selves. No, we were coming together in celebration of God's presence and power and the fact that he was calling us together as his people and his children to a high and holy moment of meeting with him, to talk with him about what we felt needed to happen in our world and to seek him on behalf of our own needs and the needs of others. Now, a prayer summit can take various forms. Uh, sometimes a church will do a prayer summit for like a 24-hour period, starting on Friday night and continuing through Saturday night. Or sometimes they're shorter duration. A prayer summit might be just a Saturday morning from 6 to 9 or from 8 to 12 or something like that. I actually went to a prayer summit at my church last Friday night. Our church has been doing two of these a year. We've recently heard from our leadership that they're probably going to start doing one of these every quarter. And the prayer summits in our church 
take place on Friday nights, and we did it by Zoom from 7 to 10 p.m. And it was beautifully organized. We had people that gave testimonies. We had people that read scriptures. We had people that led us in prayer in prayer sessions. And then we were challenged to pray in small groups or pray ourselves for part of the time as well. Now, this was a well-planned event and had a lot of different people participating. And because it was done by Zoom, it was maybe a little more structured than it would have been had we been in a live setting all in the same room. But this prayer summit lasted three hours, and it moved by very, very quickly. And it included teenagers and children. It included men and women. It included scripture readings and testimonies. Uh, It included uh, prayer requests and prayer lists and answers to prayer. Three hours goes by fairly quickly when it's a well-planned time of focusing our spiritual lives and our spiritual time together in prayer. So these are some models for how to do prayer meetings or prayer ministries in your church or in your ministry organization. You can have a prayer meeting. You can have uh, prayer uh, summits. You can have early morning prayer meetings like Korean churches. You can have uh, prayer ministries that set aside 24 hours a day every week or something like that for people to commit to to pray. You can do these on site. Uh, You can do these by Zoom. You can do these in a number of different ways. Well, now, finally, one last thing that will enhance the spiritual vitality of your church, and that is structure your worship services to include and plan for response time. Now, response time doesn't have to be a Billy Graham-style come-forward invitation, although, let me say, there's nothing wrong with that. It's still a valid way to get people to respond in worship service by inviting them to do so publicly. But, but worship services designed to facilitate response can, be, uh, can use a wide range of methods to get that done. Whether you're using a come forward invitation, whether you're using a response card, whether you're using a small group response, or whether you're using something like an inquiry room where people can go and have dialogue after the service with someone uh, about their questions, no matter what you're doing, whether you're asking people to raise their hand or come forward or uh, in some way indicate that they've made some kind of decision, whatever you're doing, you have to plan your service toward that response. You know, sometimes I'm discouraged when I go to worship services because it seems like they're just a collection of songs and scriptures and maybe a sermon sort of all thrown together and, well, there you go. And I wonder, where are we going with this? What what are we trying to accomplish? What are you trying to lead me to do in encountering God in this way? You see, a worship service is supposed to be a moment when we all come together as a community, have a simultaneous uh, connection with each other and with God and respond to him in some concrete way. Now, in order to do this, two things are required. No certain methodology is required in terms of how you want people to respond. That's going to be determined more by your church's tradition, by your church's context, and by the kind of service you're having, and the kind of response you want. But two things are essential. One, you have to plan the service to call for response. And second, you have to allow time for the response to happen. That means you can't rush right up to the last minute and say, oh, we're out of time. Now we got to go. No, you've got to build in time in your worship service planning for prayer, for reflection, for filling out that card, for raising your hand, for going to the small group, for doing whatever it is you're asking people to do to make their response that moment in the worship service. Well, 
Spiritual apathy is a real problem in churches and ministry organizations. We can enhance the spiritual vitality of the people we lead and of the organizations and churches that result. We can do it by putting these foundational practices into place. This is not a formula. You don't do these things and get a prescribed, defined result almost immediately. But if you do these things over time, it will change the spiritual dynamic of of the people you work with the church or the organization you lead. I'm challenging you to take on this t- this task and get it done as you lead on.